the Spirit descend, would love to have heard the voice from the heavens. Thank you, God, that we have a very faithful testimony of it in the scriptures. Uh, Bless us, God, as we approach the holy ground of this moment, and I pray that you'd use it to shape us, that we might live out our baptism well because of your word. pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The baptism of Jesus. Love it? Great story? Important story? Ah, uh, kind of important? Why, why might Jesus' baptism be so important to us? Uh, I, I can think of a number of reasons, but, but the two main ones, and really one is what we're really going to talk about tonight. The, the baptism of Jesus tells us so much about Jesus, about who he is, about who he is in relationship to his Father, who he is in relationship to the Holy Spirit, and then also it tells us a lot about our baptism, because when we see what happened with Jesus and how that propelled him into a life, so too when we are baptized, we are propelled into a life. So we get to talk about this tonight, and we're going to be talking mostly about what, who is Jesus, and what does this baptism tell about Jesus? Tomorrow at my Bible study, we're really going to push into the topic of baptism. So if you've ever wrestled with it or wondered, or what's the deal with Lutherans, why are they so into this, we're going to talk about that tomorrow at length. Tonight, we're really going to look mostly at the person of Jesus. So let's go back to the narrative. We only heard from Luke here tonight, but the Gospels, this is one of the few stories in the Gospels that's in every one which makes you realize, oh, this is important stuff. It is. It's really important. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have accounts. So rather than read them all, let me, let me summarize some of the things that happen. Uh, John the Baptist is out at the Jordan River. He's doing water baptism. Specifically, he's doing water baptism for, uh, for people to repent, which means turn away from your sinful life, and seek forgiveness from God. It was a baptism of forgiveness. And that's all well and good. John was a a prophet, and John is like the last caboose of the Old Testament prophets representing that era. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you could get forgiven of your sins in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system. There was a way to get forgiveness, and here was John offering a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' baptism, says John, is going to be different. I baptize you with water. Jesus is going to up that considerably. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire speaking speaking more of the judgment that's ultimately going to come when Jesus returns. So that fire of judgment. Jesus is coming back to judge. Jesus is awesome if you're his friend. (laughs) Jesus is trouble if you are not reconciled to the Father because he's coming to baptize in fire. But now, we we call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is still water. It doesn't say, I baptize you with water, but now Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit without water. No, it doesn't say that. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says, if you are not born of, the, of water and the Spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus' water baptism 
is going to be a spirit-filled water baptism. It's a new covenant baptism. It's not the Old Testament forgiveness. It's something far more. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? Do you know off the top of your head? Anybody know? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We throw that line away too fast. Here's John the Baptist going, I'm offering you forgiveness. Here comes the Lamb of God. He's going to take it away. He's going to get rid of sin. That's what we really need. We need sin gone. We need sin conquered. We need sin stamped out. Jesus is coming for that. So John sees Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the one. Jesus comes to John the Baptist and asks to be baptized by John. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, why in the world would Jesus want to be baptized? Isn't it a, baptize, a baptism of repentance? Well, Jesus doesn't have much to repent from. He's sinless. For forgiveness of sins? Haven't. Don't need it. But Jesus comes to be baptized, and he says this cryptic thing we're going to dive into tonight. He says, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John the Baptist relents. And he baptizes Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. The baptism itself, Jesus is 30 years old at this time. It says in Luke 3.23. It's in the water. It's in the river. It's almost assuredly all the way in. So the the word baptizo actually means to immerse or dunk. So more than likely he went all the way in. And the scripture also says he came up from the water. And uh, that's when he saw the heavens opened. But before that, it says, just I just noticed this in Luke this time, really for the first time, Luke 3.21, just slides in there. Luke says, they were praying. So it wasn't just the right. There was like a, a prayerful, Jesus was praying to the Father. John the Baptist was praying. It was a... There was spiritual interaction going on as this happened. It wasn't just the sacrament, just the rite, but there was like relational connection between uh, Jesus and the Father, even as he went into the water. And then it says the heavens opened. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Was it a cloudy day and they all parted? What does it mean when the heavens, which usually in the same word in Greek for sky, the sky opened? Kind of reminds me of the angels who saw the, who talked to the shepherds in in the Christmas story. The heavens opened up before them. Wow. I I want descriptors. I want one of these four gospels to paint the picture a little more thoroughly. But it says that the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit comes down in some sort of a physical form. doesn't say that it is a dove, but it's like a dove. So something birdish, something maybe this size comes down physically and lands on Jesus. And see, I want to know this question too. Is it something that Jesus now has? Does it seep into him? Does, he, does it fly back up later? I, we don't know. But I'm just curious what this thing is But what we know from the scriptures, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And then, to top it all off, an audible voice from the heavens, from God the Father, saying, this is my son whom I love. This is my loved son, and I am pleased with him. That's the rough translation. 
I don't know if God said it in Aramaic, if he said it in Hebrew, if he said it in Greek. But we heard this voice from the sky say these, these words. And then, just to top it off, what happens right after Jesus is baptized? Matthew chapter 4 says, the Holy Spirit, hey, welcome to life in the Holy Spirit. You just received the Holy Spirit, Jesus. The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Great. Is that the gift of the Holy Spirit we all want? To be driven out into a, in, 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 into a devil confrontation. So that's the story of Jesus' baptism. Short version. Got any questions? If John's was a baptism of repentance, why did Jesus get baptized? That's a question I've often had. What does it mean for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness by being baptized? How about this one? Was Jesus Jesus before the baptism? Did something change? Seems to. We have no record of any kind of public ministry before the baptism, but after, it's on, right? Any other questions make you wonder? You can blurt it out. Actually, we're a small group here. It's like a... Why didn't he turn around and baptize John? Did Jesus baptize anybody, or did his disciples do the baptizing? Obviously, that new baptism had not been inaugurated in practice yet, but we do have record in the scriptures that there were baptisms going on during the life and ministry of Jesus. So, yeah, this is all good. Well, we'll, we'll touch on some of these. Uh, four things that I'd like to point out. What, what, what does Jesus' baptism tell us about Jesus? Because that's what this series is. Who is Jesus? What do we know about Jesus that we didn't know now that we have this baptism story in front of us? And the first thing I'd like to point out is, number one, it's going to appear there. Magically, magically, maybe. Oh. <laughs> Were you surfing the net back there? Okay, we, are, we went through the narrative. Let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, what did you do? There we go. First thing we notice is this. Jesus, Jesus' whole ministry is the Father's ministry. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a number of things here. First of all, the timing of it. Okay, we just went through the whole virgin birth thing, the shepherd thing. Simeon comes and blesses. The magi show up, and they have this affirming word about young Jesus. We have a story in Luke about Jesus at the temple when he's 12. He seems to have a degree of self-awareness. But for the most part, what we have prior to this baptism is a 30-year-old single guy who lives with his mother. Maybe does some carpentry work in a putsy town called Nazareth that is the armpit of Palestine. That's Jesus before. So why? Do you think, think there were some people, even John the Baptist or, or the shepherds? or Some people go, we kind of thought this guy was going to be a big deal. It's not really panning out. You can't even find a wife. What's the deal with Jesus? God knows what he's doing. God knows the timing. It says in the scripture that the Spirit of God came upon John the Baptist and sent him out to prepare the way, but it wasn't until Jesus was 30. And now he's preparing the way, and now Jesus comes out 
comes into the context of John's preparation and the ministry of Jesus is inaugurated. So Jesus was not a dud. Jesus <laughs> might have thought, people might have thought, this is really disappointing because it seemed, he seemed to be, have so much promise with all those angels and things. But this is also God's ministry because you've got to see Jesus in the big, huge picture. God called Abraham out of Ur and said, go to the promised land. It was God who blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. It was God who led the nation of Israel out of Egypt at just the right time. It was God who saw the kings arise and then saw David and Solomon anointed amongst the kings of Israel. It was God who filled the prophets with all of these expectation truths about the coming of the Messiah. This is a God the Father production. Jesus, even now, you know, all of that happened, and then Jesus happened, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. He leaves the Holy Spirit, and he promises to come back, and people are going, when are you coming back? What does Jesus say? Only the Father knows that. This is a Father production. I am a player in this history when it comes to the salvation of of humankind. God the Father is ultimately in charge, and God the Father belts it out to Jesus himself. It's amazing. I mean, if you've ever, I, I, don't, I don't know if God the Father ever opened the heavens and yelled out a good word about either Joseph Smith or Muhammad or Buddha. This is a really important moment. God, I mean, our world, most people think there is a God, but they don't know how for sure we can know whose truth about God is the right truth. This is a huge moment. In fact, it's a huge enough moment, this affirmation of God, that it says in Acts chapter 1, no one could be, remember remember when Judas kind of bailed on the other 11 disciples and became a betrayer, and they wanted to replace him in Acts chapter 1? Who can be one of the 12? You have to have been with Jesus all the way back to, and it says, his baptism. You had to be there at that day. Because that was a day. That was voice from the sky stuff. That was Holy Spirit descending physically stuff. That inaugurated, that was a huge day because it inaugurated his ministry forever. And to be, a, to be one of the 12, you had to see that. So hugely important day. Huge importance that God the Father affirmed. So it's a God the Father production. But point two is uh, uh, Trinity part B. Jesus' ministry is the Spirit's. By the way, um, uh, well, who's more God, the Father, the Son, or the Spirit? Pretty equal, <laughs> okay? That's the right answer. Okay, let's go back to catechism. What was the answer? Was, was it Father 1, Son 2, Spirit's kind of a dangler? That, I think sometimes we think of it that way. I think in our, we have, don't you have that tendency? Go, oh, God the Father, and Jesus reconciled, and the Spirit helps out. The Spirit, though he, it says in our creed, proceeds from the Father and the Son, is also to be worshipped and glorified along with the Father and the Son. So the Spirit is really important. Um, who is more God? Another one, which, which member of the Trinity could be missing from this moment and it wouldn't matter? <laughs> they all have to, this is God This is the fullness of God. This is such a great Trinitarian moment because you have the voice of the Father, you have the descending spirit on the Son himself. 
It's the Trinity for the first time in ultimate action. And it's going to be the Trinity that moves into the future. Because what does Jesus say about the Father all through his, his ministry? I do nothing but what the Father tells me. I and the Father are one. He abides in me. I abide in him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, these are huge, bold statements. Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, God the Father is me. That, that is obviously a huge claim to make, but to have the affirmation of a voice. But the Holy Spirit doesn't mobilize the ministry of Jesus until this time. Now he's full of the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting because this is very much like the story we're going to have in Acts chapter 1 when, when Jesus tells his disciples, look, don't leave town until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because he's going to give you power to fulfill this ministry. And I used to think, doesn't it sort of make Jesus less than God if we say he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit until his inauguration? I think, no, no. He was, he was fully man, and then he was filled with the fullness of the power of God at that moment. And then from that point on, wow, amazing things happen in Christ. By the way, amazing. Jesus said to us, you'll do even more amazing things than that once you receive the Spirit. We should have that same sort of expectation as we look at this. That inaugurated his life. That could inaugurate the church's life. But I digress. Back to the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think, Jesus really was was nothing until the Spirit's descent. And then he became, he he knew, he had some sort of self-awareness when he was 12. But apart from that, it appears that this was what launched him. So what we have in Jesus now is the fullness of the Spirit's power as well as the affirmation of the Father all in the Son. Which, by the way, when we get baptized, we get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we're baptized in that same way. That, we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Um, but uh, So every time you do this, we'll get to that too. Number three. So it's the fathers, it's the spirits, but I want to talk about the manhood of Jesus. Jesus is God, yes? Everyone say yes. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Though some of you might go, is he? I mean, he's a son of God. No, Jesus is fully God. If you don't believe Jesus is fully God, you're really not a classical Christian. You're you're, You're a cult member. That's the one that most of the cults miss is that Jesus is fully divine. So Jesus is divine, but Jesus is totally man. He is fully man. So we have Jesus coming in and taking part of the ministry of John the guy and the ministry of water baptism. He enters into this thing that is designed for human beings to repent and receive forgiveness. He walks into that. There's a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit that takes place. So it wasn't just a, ooh, I feel it inside. Oh, no, here it comes, physical manifestation of the Spirit, which tells me something about God, that he wants to touch us through the physical. And it isn't just an ethereal, spiritual thing apart from man, apart from who we are. We're human beings 
We are, we are material. And Jesus enters into that fully. So with John and the water and a physical manifestation of the Spirit and an audible manifestation of the voice of God. So ears, sensual, hear all of this. I love this about God. God isn't in the heavens just kind of running stuff but never gets involved down here in the material world. There's a lot of people, Gnostics, who think that, who think the spiritual world is the true world and all the material stuff is just, yeah, it's just material. No, it's not. God works through those material things, including our sacraments, including baptism. He, he uses the material. So Jesus, as a material man, enters into this material spirituality And then I love this. Jesus identifies with us. Does Jesus have to repent? No. Does Jesus have to be forgiven of his sins? No. Is Jesus a human being? Fully. So it reminded me this week of, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Now when you read the book of Daniel, he's one of the guys in scripture that is almost like Jesus. He doesn't really sin anywhere in the text. He's good. Daniel rocks. He's Daniel, Joseph, and Jesus. Those are the three guys. They're the best. Even the Apostle Paul had some issues, but those three guys were, were hot stuff. Daniel is led at one time to pray for the sins of his nation. I just want to read some of this to you because it, it's moving. Daniel 9, if you want to do a personal study on it. Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to its inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. He goes on from there. He stands in the gap. He goes, I'm one of these people. Jesus came to earth and he stands with us and goes, I am one of you and we repent. We need forgiveness as a race and I identify with you, each one of you. He comes alongside and goes, I'm I'm fully man with you and we as a race need to be forgiven. So that's why John the Baptist looked at him and goes, no, you should baptize me, Jesus. What are you saying? Jesus says, no, this fulfills all righteousness because I am coming to this world and I I am going to be the perfect man. I'm going to be the perfect man as I carry the weight of all of your sins on my back. And I'm going to walk into that water of baptism as one of you and carrying your load. And if anything, I am repenting for your sins with you. I'm seeking forgiveness with you because that's what you need. Jesus as a man, that fulfills all righteousness. He receives the Holy Spirit. He had to have the Holy Spirit in order to make this happen. He identifies fully with his race. 
And then most importantly about this whole baptism is point number four, the foreshadowing of the cross. We heard it uh, when Cheryl read from Romans chapter six. Don't you understand that when we are baptized, we are baptized into the death of Jesus and raised into the life of Jesus. Now Jesus, when he was getting baptized, was not going, hey, that's interesting. Maybe in three years after I die and resurrect, they'll reinterpret baptism and it'll become something else. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was, he was pre-enacting his death and his resurrection when he got baptized. Because that's what the word of God, which stands forever, even before things happen, the word of God proclaims. So the fullness of this baptism, this is why the apostle Peter says, baptism saves you. Not just the, not just the washing of water, but it is, it is that complete pledge of a clear conscience to God. We, we go to those waters to save us because Jesus himself, the man, instituted these physical waters because of what they mean in the cross. Without the cross, baptism is nice. But the cross fulfills it. And we, again, heard the text already that makes it far more than a ritual. It is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And it's through that that he becomes for us our what? Our righteousness. So this truly, Jesus, when he said to John the Baptist, I need to do this because I am in the process of fulfilling all righteousness. I am carrying sins into that water. I'm dying in that water. And I am being raised into newness of life, the spirit and the proclamation of the Father to being cleansed and now released into ministry. Wow. Wow. And then he gets sent into temptation with the devil, Matthew chapter 4. And then Jesus, all through his ministry, has, he says this over and over and over in the gospel text. When people say, hey, why don't you go to this town? Because there's a big crowd and you could be really famous. We could set you up as king. And he goes, that's not why I've come. I know why I've come. The Son of Man has to suffer. He's going to be sent to Jerusalem. He's going he's to be captured at the hands of the chief priests. And he's going to be put to death. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. How did Jesus know that? Because he had the Holy Spirit and the Father communicating to him what his mission was going to be. But his mission was cross-shaped from the time he got out of that cross-shaped water. Because the water was his death and resurrection pre-enacted. And now he's walking in it. So much to say. There's, there's a lot, lot more we could do. We have a lot of key questions about our own baptism. A lot of people ask, is baptism a big deal? Do we really have to be baptized? I mean, can I be saved without being baptized? Why do people push back against baptism so much? What's the root of that? Am I necessarily saved because I was baptized? Why is this such a big deal for Lutherans specifically? What's, why, why are they so into it? I just want to say this. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by walking into baptism. Some people even doubted that he should be baptized. But Jesus said, of course I'm going to walk into this. This fulfills all righteousness for me. It is a big deal. And it's brilliant. Don't you think it's just kind of amazing, the, the depth of what this sacrament is and what it means? It's an incredible thing. 
So let me just close with this. Baptism now is a gift of God to the church. It's not a task that we have to do. It's not a hoop that we jump through out of obedience because, oh, well, I accepted Jesus into my life and it says I have to be baptized. It's kind of like, you know, getting fit for my Boy Scout uniform or something. I got to go follow through on this new club ritual. No. Baptism is, God does something in baptism, not us. And that's what happened to Jesus. All Jesus did was released himself to the promise of God that was in the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him and the voice of the Father came upon him and this new life and ministry was burst forth inside of him. That, that's a picture of baptism that I, I'm, a, I'm a, see, I grew up, I was in evangelical churches for a long time and I have lovely dear brothers in those churches and, and I think they're great. But when it came to baptism, they didn't believe that anything happened when you got baptized. It wasn't a giving of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't actually a cleansing of your soul. It was just a sign. It was just, it was just a physical thing. What really mattered is an internal reality. And God saves you on the inside, and he warms you by the Holy Spirit on the inside, and anything that's done outside in the material world is, is just that. That's just a matter thing. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says baptism saves you. And it's funny how, as moderns, we have this idea that, no, no, it's, it's got to be some sort of inner mystical nudging or something. It can't be connected to material stuff. We're kind of Gnostic. We're kind of overly platonic for you philosophy people. That we just can't receive anymore that God wants to touch us through stuff. And God inaugurated this physical stuff thing with the water so that we could receive him through that. And he gives that to the church in Matthew 28. It says, go into all the world now and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go take this gift of baptism and baptize people who believe and their families. Baptize them as a gift to the world. It is a saving gift to the world. And I just don't understand why our, our world pushes back and goes, I, don't, I shouldn't have to do that in order to be saved. It seems silly to me. It's inconvenient. I don't like being wet in public. I'm an adult here. Do we really have to do this? And I look at baptism. I go, what a, what a gift. What a blessing. And what clarity there is in the truth of the substance of how God saves us as human beings. Jesus lived out his baptism. It was his life. He heard the word and pleasure of the Father all through his days. He was empowered and directed by the Spirit. And he had that cross-shaped call on his life for, all, for, for his entire ministry. And baptism is the same for us. Baptism, we walk in it. It's not something that happened back then. We live out this reality. We hear the affirming voice of God as we walk through life. We're empowered by that Holy Spirit, and we too have to pick up our cross and carry it into the world and be ready to suffer for Jesus. Jesus' baptism, we walk in that same baptism, and it is powerful, and it changes us forever. For the next seven weeks, we're going to get to watch Jesus live out his baptism. And so as we, as we do that, whenever we do this, by the way, if you're not a Lutheran and you don't, don't do this thing, is that weird for some of you? Is that a Catholic thing or is that a Lutheran thing? It's kind of a cool thing. 
It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit cross-shaped. That's our baptism. The Father loves us. The Spirit empowers us through the death of Jesus on that cross. Then you give it one of these at the end. Boom, on my heart. I keep it on my heart. We live out that baptism. We're going to turn our attention now to the table, the Lord's table. And that cross that Jesus died on, the blood that he spilled, is part of his baptism. It's the fulfillment of his baptism. So you baptize believers as we come up to the altar in just a few moments. Uh, come up and reenact and relive the fullness of that baptism and be, get ready to walk into that powerful life that God has for you. And he wants to bless you in the same way he blessed through the water, he'll bless you through those physical sacraments of bread and wine. We're going to receive an offering right now uh, as we prepare for that, and we'll sing our way uh, to the table. Great old hymn.